Good morning. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here. We do know that it is a, a day of mixed feelings. Good, bad, confusion. Just as it's been said before, we don't know what your relationship with your mother is, but um, we pray that it is a good one. We pray that it is affected by the gospel in some sort of way. And everyone has a different situation with their family. And um, days like this, I remember my mom. And uh, I miss her. She's passed away in, in 2015. Never been more happy for someone in my entire life. She struggled with so many different things uh, mentally. Uh, I've never seen someone so trapped. So trapped, and I um, appreciate it so trapped in their own on the, in their own body that you live that sort of life but i've never been more excited for someone to see jesus than my mom and i'm thankful that she was a godly mother i'm thankful for my wife being a godly wife and mother to our children always teaching always <laughs> always reforming <laughs> They'll be grown soon. But if you will, go ahead and uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. Last week, we, we were in chapter 2, 19 through 22, and we talked about a holy household. Kind of fitting now that I just, it just occurred to me, a holy household we talked about how it's of God and how we know we need to know the ruler and the master of that household and how theology, we talked about theology and how everyone is a theologian. Everyone knows something about God. They have their own thoughts towards God and how we need to be worshiping the one and true living God revealed in scripture and not opinions. And how we talked about how we had a holy temple. We had a holy household, a holy temple, and a holy dwelling place. The temple, the church collective, the dwelling place, him personally making his home with us in John 14. But all this week, I was trying to determine, do I go, continue to go through Ephesians, or do I stop and, and have a Mother's Day sermon? And... I come to the conclusion or the Lord laid it on my heart. There's no better instruction for us today than what we're talking about today. Because no matter if you want to be a godly mother, a godly father, a godly wife, a godly boy, a godly girl. This, this message today is going to help you today. Lord willing. Because I know if my mom was, were still here, knowing what she's seen so far, she would say, don't you dare cut them short by just talking about mothers today. What I want to ask you today is, are you captured by God? No matter if you're a mother, father, son, daughter, boy, girl, this permeates everyone, every single person. So we're not going to just talk about women today and leave everyone else off because everyone's not a mother. Everyone does not have a good relationship with their mother. And we appreciate the mothers 
But if you want to be a godly person, are you captivated? Are you captured by God? So today we want to talk about that, just that thing. Are you captured by God today? We want to talk about these three things. And you'll be proud of me. I'm a good Baptist today. They're all alliterated. <laughs> yep. But I'll balance that with what one of the greater mothers, my great aunt, would say. It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, or not. Are you born again? Are you a Christian? But today I'm being a Baptist. So we'll enjoy that. So the three points today is, are you captured by God? Number one, are you captive of the master? Are you compelled by the mystery? And are you consumed with the message? These are three things that Paul had in this section, in this beginning part of chapter three. So if you will, stand with us and we'll read this scripture. Ephesians three, we made it to three guys. Congratulations. We made it to three. We're going to read verses one through nine. Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which, ha- which was not made known to the sons of men in order or in other generations that has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And we'll stop there today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, it's, um, it's imperative for your people to know that when our father and our mother are gone, you do take us up. You become our father. You are already our father, but it becomes so much real, more real. Would you care for us more than anyone else? So today I pray that you would be with my words, fill us with your spirit, the listeners, myself, speak to us all this morning, that we would be captured by you, captivated by your glory, by what you've done. And so Lord, I pray that you would do a work today that only you can do. Lord, move my flesh out of the way. Let me speak only the things you'd have me speak. I mean that. I don't want to be in the way. Help us to see you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We'll go ahead and start here in verse verse 1 there in chapter 3. We'll start off the first point, a captive 
of the master, a captive of the master. Paul says this in the first verse. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Notice the first three things he says there. The first three words he says, for this reason. He's, he's spoken so many things through this, this, uh, this, this book so far. And, you, and, and I kind of chuckled at the little part later, a little further down where he says, I've written briefly. Paul doesn't write anything briefly. He, he, he dumps the load on you when he writes a letter. This is only chapter 3. We know that uh, the chapters were put in later, but he's halfway through this letter, and he's like, for this reason, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. But he says, for this reason. Chapter 1, sovereign God working in your salvation. Tremendous things that you just wouldn't imagine He's revealing and, and speaking to us by the Spirit in, in chapter 1. Chapter 2, the work of Christ. It says it over and, over and again in chapter 2. In Christ, of Christ, in Him, in the Lord, by the Spirit. So he's saying for these reasons, up to this point, for these, for these reasons. And then he's saying something else that he's going to finish in, in verse 14 that we'll get to later. But he's, he begins a prayer for these Ephesians. He prays for us, the reader, to understand and settle on these things that he's speaking on. But before he gets there, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now Paul, at this time, he was, he was a prisoner. He was, un, he was under house arrest in Rome. You can read about that in Acts 28. He was under house arrest for preaching the gospel. And he says, uh, and for what reason? He was, he was in prison and he was arrested because he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Now they would have let him go. They, were, they didn't give him the death penalty because they said, well, he's done nothing to deserve the death penalty. But, they, but because of the Jews and their jealousy of him preaching to the rest of the world, they were upset and had him arrested on house arrest for I, th- I believe it was two, at least two years. And he was writing Colossians and Ephesians. He's sitting there as a prisoner, in chains, with a guard with him, a guard with him. But because of the Jews' jealousy, he was in prison. But he's arrested by the Romans because of the Jews, but Paul calls himself, what? A prisoner of Christ Jesus. You see a little glimpse into his mindset, and it's like, wait a minute. If you if you, you read it too fast, you just kind of gloss over that. He's been arrested. He's a prisoner. He's in prison right now when he's writing this letter. But he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What was it that caused Paul to use that sort of language? Why would he say that? So many times you'll hear, you'll hear people, a lot of times you'll hear Christians say things to impress people. Was Paul saying that to impress the reader? I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Put my badge on. I'm a prisoner. Why was he saying that? It was like we were saying last week. Paul knows Jesus. He doesn't know about him. He doesn't know the system of Christianity. He doesn't know the system of the way at the moment. And he's trying to sound flashy or try to sound in, in, involved. Paul knows Jesus not about Jesus he knows him 
He understands some, some key attributes of the master. He knows that he's the master. He knows he's in control. What are the two things? He knew and trusted that he was under Christ's control. No matter where he found himself, he knew that he was under Christ's control. No one else's. It doesn't matter if someone else laid hands on him and put him in handcuffs and put him in chains. He knew someone greater than the people who had him in that situation. He knew and he trusted he was under Christ's control. And the second thing at least he understood was this. He knew that every, every aspect in his life was in the Lord's hands. Every aspect, every single thing that he came across, he knew that God was in control of those things. Now, you know, when things like, things like that come to us, sometimes we like to, we flip our lids. Oh, no, what's going to happen? They're going to arrest me. If I say something, they're going to arrest me. They're going to put me in jail. They're going to, they're gonna, if I go to witness to this person, they're going to spit in my face. They might slap me. They might punch me. They might call the police on me and say that I'm harassing them. We, he's, we, we begin to basically lose our minds over situations when when bills come that we don't necessarily expect and we don't think we have the money when the air condition is torn up at the church and we don't know where the money's coming from some people tend to get nervous and we we tend to worry about those things and we begin to lose our minds but when paul found out that he was going to be arrested he didn't lose his mind you didn't see him panicking why why not is that because he's an apostle no it's not because he's an apostle. His theology, like we talked about last week, his theology was settled on truth. His Christology, or Christology, however you want to read it, read it was solid because he knew Jesus. He knew these things that he is sovereign. No matter what comes across in our life, whatever comes across, what, whatever we're going through, whether it's good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, God is in control. He was settled on that. He found himself chained up with a guard. And he knew God was in control. It doesn't matter if this guy's here with me. I'm going to tell him about Jesus. I'm going to witness to him. I'm going to tell him the truth. What is it? Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. He knew that about Christ. That he is the master. He is the, he is the ruler of the universe. So he knew that he was sovereign. He knew that his providence, God's providence, is good and right, always. You know, sometimes we'll go through things and we'll think, man, why is God putting me through this? The best thing that you can ever do whenever you're going through a hard time is to remember and know that God is good. You'll hear me say that till I'm blue in the face. God is good. He never does anything with a sinful intent. He never does anything with a harmful intent that will not make you more like Christ. You have to trust Him in that. His providence is good and it is right. It's always right. Paul knew that. God always has a good purpose in everything He leads us to and everything that He leads us through. And you'll look back on those things and you'll see his fingerprints all through those situations you were in. How he was molding you. How he was moving you towards looking like Christ. It's almost like he's working on that statue and he's, you see the fingerprints. You look in the mirror and you see there's fingerprints on me. You know, like on your spirit. He's, he's molding you into the image of, of Christ. 
Everything that he brings in front of you, whether you grew up with a good mother, whether you grew up with a bad mother, whether you grew up with no mother around, if you belong to Christ, it has a good purpose, and you have to trust in that. You have to trust him and his character. Paul knew that. That's why he didn't lose his mind. Paul knew that if the king has captured him, and he had, he had captured him, he had captured his soul, he had captured his heart, he belongs to him, and it matters not what company or situation he found himself in, because no one can change that. Because Christ had captured him. Christ had a hold of him. He was a prisoner of Christ. Are you a prisoner of Christ? Because it, sound, it sounds initially like, oh, I'm being bound. But I'm telling you, if he has a hold of you, you're the most free person that has ever existed. You're the most free person. You have freedom not to sin. And you say, whoa, I don't know about that. I'm a pretty bad sinner. You want to beat Paul? What was Paul's life like? He was self-righteous, going around killing Christians, encouraging the killing of Christians, all in the name of God. A murderer. But then he'd been apprehended by God, captured. And him being captured caused him to be captivated with Jesus. He was a prisoner to him. Anywhere he told him to go, that's where he was going. I'll do anything you want. I was dead. I'll go anywhere you want. You've given me life. I'll do what you say. I trust you fully because I know you. And you would never steer me wrong. You would never lead me wrong. I'll go wherever you have me go. So I want to ask these questions on this first point. Are you captive to Christ? Have you even been saved? Has He ever arrested your heart? Have you been rescued from sin? Are you His captor? Are you His prisoner? Has He captured your life? And for those of you who say yes, are you trusting in His sovereign hand? Everyone in here is in a different situation, in a different place in life, with different things going on. It's not too big for God. He knows exactly. He's got you right where He needs you to be to learn how to be like His Son. Are you trusting in His sovereignty? Yes, it's one thing to know He's in control, but are you trusting it? Do you lay your head down on the pillow at night knowing, I don't have to worry about this. I can sleep through the night. I do not have to keep things going because He's going to keep them going. And he always has, and he has since, the, since before the foundation of the world. He has kept things going, and he's been fine. He doesn't need that from us. We can rest in his sovereign hand. Are you resting in that? Are you trusting in his sovereign hand? Paul was a prisoner writing letters to the church, trusting that God had him exactly where he wanted him. Do you trust in his providential plan and that it's good Perfectly fit for you to be made into the image of Christ. Are you trusting that? That all the things that you've been going through, all the things that have been thrown into the pot, that it's not outside of his control. Come on, guys. I want you to say it with me. Who's in control? Who's in control? 
God is. God is in control. Are we in control? No, we, ultimately we are not in control. If we were in control, we'd be in a mess. God is in control. No matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter what the difficulty, ask yourself this question, are you resting in His control or are you struggling in your own control? That is usually the fight, that's usually the wrestling match we have. We get frustrated because we're trying, we're struggling to gain control of the situation. Well, what does He want you to do? Rest in His control. What did it say in in verses past? He himself is our peace. When you don't have peace and you're struggling and you're wrestling and trying to gain control, is that peace? No, you'll drive yourself nuts. You'll drive yourself insane. Paul wasn't going insane. Paul was resting in that, resting in who he knew Jesus to be. So I will say this, stop struggling. If you're struggling today, stop struggling to be sovereign in your situation don't even try it. We're not built for sovereignty. Stop struggling to be sovereign in your situation. Rest in his capture. He, if he's captured you, rest in that. If he's got a hold of you, rest in that because you're not going anywhere. You, do, you go where he says, you do what he, he wants you to do. But stop struggling to be sovereign. Paul was a captive of the master, but he was also number two here. He was compelled by the mystery. It says in chapter 3, 1 through 6, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on, your, on, on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations that has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this is what the mystery is, verse 6. He said, this mystery, what we've talked about over the past couple of weeks, this mystery is that the Gentiles, us, we, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What is the mystery? That we, us, Gentiles, are fellow heirs of the kingdom. And don't let that be a phrase that you just hear and it goes in one ear and out the other. You're an heir of the kingdom. You have that coming to you. The same body, the body of Christ, Partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul is blown away at this revelation that the gospel has been opened up. To what truth? That the gospel is now for every people group. And that made him excited. It's not just the Jews. He's like, I'm going to go tell everyone. I'm going to tell every man, boy, and child that I come across, whether I'm chained to the, to the guy next to me or whether I'm free to go tell everyone. I'm going to tell everyone that needs to hear this good news because he knew who Jesus was. He knew that he had been captured, and he was like, he needs more captives. And not just for the sake of being captured, but for the sake of changing their lives because he was going one direction, and then he went total opposite direction, and there's no explanation other than Jesus coming to him, knocking him on his back, 
blinding him and telling him to come follow me. No other explanation. Paul didn't go down the Damascus road and say, I'm going to, going on the Damascus road to go kill more Christians and then just say, hmm, I think I need Jesus. Make any sense? Not really. It doesn't. God came to him, knocked him down and said, listen, why are you kicking against the pricks? You come follow me. Quit kicking against my control. Quit trying to be sovereign over your life and you're going to come follow me. But Paul was excited that this good news is, is available to every, every people group. He was compelled to go t- tell every single person that he could possibly reach. I want to ask you this. Is there excitement in your soul when you hear of new believers springing up in unreached nations? Does that give you excitement? Steve and Liz were just telling me the other week that where they're ministering, where they're at, there are new believers popping up. I have to be careful. There's new believers popping up, and they're about to start a house church. That should give you excitement. In a place that is so dark, is so without the gospel, I mean dark. Chuck's been there. It's just a different place. And these people have, God has rescued them and called them out and, and brought them into the body. And now they're, they're about to have a church in a living room. Does that cause excitement in you? It caused excitement in Paul. Does this mean that you have to go to every possible nation with the gospel? Does that mean you're supposed to go on every mission trip? Does that mean that you're supposed to go everywhere all the time? Does that, is that what that means? No, but we go to who's in front of us with this gospel. Because wherever you are right now is what, where, God, where God specifically has you. And we seek to push the envelope because his, his goodness needs to be known. He needs to be known. How are we to be involved in the gospel to the nations? How, how, what is our involvement? It's like this. I've always heard it this way. It's like people needing to be rescued in the bottom of a well. They have no hope of getting out. They're in desperate need of life-giving care. And we are involved in one of two ways. Either we go down into the well ourselves, or we hold the rope for someone else to go. Those are the only two ways you go. Either you go down there and you rescue people yourself, or you hold the rope, and you feel the weight of lowering them down in there to rescue people. Now, either you go to other nations, you go on the mission trip, you send people to the mission trip. It's one, it's, it's one of those two things. You should have a desire for other people to be saved, for this mystery to be opened wide up, for the gospel to go to every single person. You should have a desire for people to be saved. Charles Spurgeon put it like this, and he's pretty straightforward. He said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. Hmm. That kind of gets you in the 
get in the gut a little bit, make you think. I'll say it again. Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. What is he saying there? If you have genuinely been saved, you've seen Christ and what he'll do. Have you seen Christ do something in your life? Has he changed your desires of sin into a desire for him? Because if you see that in your life, you'll want other people to experience that. You'll see someone going down the road and you, your heart will break for them. I need to go tell them something. I, need, I don't know how it's coming out, but I'm going to tell them something. You see someone in the grocery store and I need to have a conversation with them. Why? Because you've seen how he's changed your life. He's saying you are not saved if you have no wish for other people to be changed. If you haven't been changed, you won't have a desire. You won't have a desire. But how am I to be compelled by this mystery of the gospel going to all people, to every man, every woman, every child? How am I to be compelled by this mystery? By being number three, consumed with the message. Paul was consumed with the message. Verses 7 through 9. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul is consumed with the message of the good news. He's consumed with it. Why do you think it is so many of us are not consumed? Why are we not consumed? Ask yourself that. Why am I not consumed with this gospel? Paul knew this. He knew that it was all of grace. He knew it was all of all God's doing. Because he says, of this gospel, according to the gift of God's grace. He knew on one side that it was because of God's grace that he was even rescued, that he was even saved. But then on the other hand, he said, it's by God's grace that I've been made a minister to these Gentiles to let them know, to shed the light into their lives that God can change it. It says, by the working of his power. Listen to Paul's language. He knows it's not on his efforts of him going out to try to do things the exact right way and have things A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four. I've got to say these things to get people to to, to recruit them to Christianity. That was not his mindset whatsoever. His heartbeat was to change people's lives by the gospel because he says here, by the working of his power. Both his calling into the gospel and his being made a minister were done by God's power. I found it interesting that the word minister there isn't what you would necessarily think. It's not... A uh, pastor, someone getting up, um, being in charge, whatever you might think. Um, not some high and lofty position. That word minister is the same word as deacon. It's diakonos. Paul is saying that he has been made a server of the gospel. A server, a waiter of the gospel. How can I serve you? How can I serve you today? 
when he saw people come in, how can I serve them with the gospel? He's thinking of ways. How can I be good to them? How can I get that message to them? Because they need to be rescued. A server of the gospel by the grace of God. I want you to remember this. I've said this before. The gospel is the great leveler. It humbles the proud and it lifts up and gives grace and confidence in the work of Christ. It won't let you be one extreme or the other. It won't let you think that you're awesome and high and mighty. And it won't let you sit there and wallow in pity and self-pity that, oh, I'm not worth doing anything. I'm not. No, it lifts you up because the works of Christ are worth something. So you can't stay down there and roll around in the pity party because God, Christ is worth more than your pity party. He's done everything for you and he's lifted you up. And you can't sit there and be high and mighty and say, look what I've done. I'm sure I'm glad I made a good decision those years ago. Boy, I picked the right path. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. You can't. What do you have to brag on? What do I have to brag on? Man, I'm making some good decisions. This is a good business deal here. I'm just going to keep on making those good decisions. No, you can't. The gospel won't let you do that. It keeps you right in the middle. Christ has done it all. And notice Paul's words here. He says, the very least of all the saints. He said, I'm the very least of all the saints. We sit there and look at Paul like, man, he was amazing. Like, I mean, knew all the, I mean, all the doctrines. He knew Jesus. When he would write a letter, he wrote a letter. But Paul says, I'm the very least of all the saints, and it's not false humility. You know, sometimes you'll walk around and say, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, that's true, but that's not all you are. You've been made an heir of the kingdom. Don't stay there. Remember that. Yeah, you are a sinner saved by grace but you've been made an heir of the kingdom because of Christ. But Paul says, I'm the very least of all the saints. Paul is humbly grateful. Why? Because what we said earlier, at one point in time, he was seeking to kill Christians. He knows he doesn't deserve to be even in the kingdom, much less being spreading, the, spreading this message of the gospel to other people. Who is he? He was going around to kill people killing these people who are spreading this message. And here God has stopped him in his life and moved him to be a spreader of this, this message, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he, knew, who he knew when he was on that cross died on the, on the behalf of those people who will let go of their sin and trust him. Just plainly put it, just let go of your sin and trust him. Those, on behalf of those people and resurrected to give them new life. Convinced of that. Paul was humbly grateful because when you understand the bad news, the good news, the gospel, is amazing to you. It's amazing to you. Is the gospel still amazing to you? We all want to say yes, but is it, is it captivating your heart? When you sit and you meditate, when's the last time you meditated on the amazing gospel that you were going one direction, but now you're not, 
And there's not really an explanation for that other than you're in the kingdom. It's amazing to us because we know that there's nothing good in us. The longer you meditate on it, there's nothing good in us at all. We know that in the flesh, we are depraved and God-hating. Anytime we're not walking in this word right here, mind will go all kinds of directions. You'll go here, you'll go there. You'll get all offline in the ditch one way or the other when you get out of here. We know that we're rotten. We know. If you don't know, now you know. <laughs> D, don't be laughing. I grew up in the hood, man. be hating on him <laughs> but that's that's the real that's that's real right there we know we got we have nothing anything other than the wrath of god to us is it should be amazing it should be amazing you wake up in the morning you have a house to live in a place to be in you're able to open your eyes you're breathing God is keeping your heart beating every moment. You don't have to consciously think about your heart beating because he's watching it. He's taking care of it. You say, well, my brain takes care of that. Well, who's operating your brain? No, don't, don't go there. The intellectuals like to go there. Well, my brain's doing it. Well, no. Who's operating your brain? Who, who started the spark in your brain? They still can't figure that out. Who starts the spark in your heart when you're a baby? They don't know. It just starts starts beating and he's keeping it beating anything other than the wrath of God should be amazing to us when we look at our lives we should be humbly grateful as Paul was Psalm 84:10 says this I thought about this last night when I was reading through this and it, it just it, it captures the spirit of it we should be humbly grateful for anything God gives us but in Psalm 84:10 it says for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. How many of you can relate to that? How many of you have been in the tents of wickedness? I've been in the tents of wickedness. I would rather stand at the door and invite other people to go deeper than to be in the tents of the wickedness humbly grateful the psalmist is saying i would rather be a doorkeeper you imagine being the doorkeeper in heaven is that not better than being in the ditch with the with the wicked i would rather be welcoming people into gates because i'm i'm closer i'm close to jesus (laughs) he might come out here and when he's out here i'm going to be ready I'm going to welcome everybody in here. I'd rather be here than to be in the ditch with with, with the wickedness. Paul was consumed with Christ and the unsearchable riches of who he is. Are we consumed with Christ? Am I consumed with Christ? How often do you think about him? Are you consumed with knowing him? When is the last time we sat down and considered the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you just sit there and you think, what do we have coming? 
What do we have now? What is it going to be like when we see him face to face? Unsearchable, unending goodness, grace for eternity. When's the last time you, you just stopped and meditated on that and got outside of your mind and outside of your current situation and focused on him and what we have coming? Focused on eternity. When you're focused on eternity, all the things that you're worried about don't really matter too much anymore. You'll, you'll do them and you'll, you'll get them taken care of, but you're not stressed. You're not worried about them. And if your mind's on eternity, you'll see other people in that light. You'll see people and you'll say, I wonder if they, I wonder if they know him. And you'll go find out. Considering the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's hard sometimes because we can't see him. Or can we? I think sometimes we stay so busy. We miss it. He's always doing things. He's always taking care of things. Paul was consumed with shining the light of the gospel message into the darkness. Has the gospel consumed you? First question is, is, is Christ consumed you? Are you consumed with Christ? The next one, has the gospel consumed you? If it hasn't, is it real for you? Or has it just been a story that you've always heard? Sometimes I catch myself, I have in times past, the story of Christ instead of it being real. Being real. It's like we said before, if you were really dead and, and someone really raised you to life and you started opening your eyes and you saw things happen, like, or you had been rescued from, let's just be really practical, you're in the middle of the street and you don't see a huge tour bus coming down the highway. You're just doing your own thing and somebody comes over there and snatches you out of the way. How would you feel towards that person? That is where it becomes real. You, don't, you would never forget that person. But so many times we, we, the gospel drifts into just the story that we've heard. Oh yeah, Jesus. Yeah, he died. He resurrected. No, this is real. This is real. Because Jesus is the gospel. Paul is consumed with bringing to light to, for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. It's funny, Chuck mentioned it this morning. It's strange that they use this word, the plan. Every, he wanted to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. That word plan there is koinonia. That's interesting. Paul was consumed with bringing to light for everyone what is koinonia, of the mystery hidden for God or hidden for ages in God who has created all things. Paul is excited about the plan, the koinonia, because it means intimacy with God and not just with God, but with people of every tribe, tongue, and nation to be close with him, to be a family, to be not just a family, to be a genuine family with God who created all things. You see why I say it's amazing? It's really hard to describe it. God has brought us into his family. 
He was consumed with that message of having intimacy with God. And he was like, it's not just the Jews anymore. I can go tell everybody. Everybody can have this with God now. So as we're closing, we're finished. It's um, like we said at the very beginning. The way to be a godly mother, a godly father, a godly wife, a godly husband, a godly girl, godly boy, a godly man or woman, be captured by God. Be captured by Him. Be a, captor, uh, be a captive of the Master. Be compelled by the mystery that it belongs to every type of person, the gospel. And be consumed with that message of the gospel because that message is Christ. He is the good news. Let's pray. Well, Father, I, I pray that you would use my, my feeble attempt at trying to, de- to describe this to your people and I pray that your spirit would have spoken directly to someone but Lord I know that you have spoken it to my heart and it has changed me Lord it's your it's your business it's your power it's your desire that you change hearts and lives in this building that we would be captivated by you, that we would be your prisoner, that we would be consumed with this message of the gospel because we see its reality. Lord, don't let the gospel just be a story. Let us feel the reality of being rescued. Lord, you know exactly what every single person needs. You know what I need. And Lord, I pray that we would do that. On this, on this Mother's Day, your day, the Lord's day is what today is. I pray that you would affect every title we could name that's in this room. That we would be captivated with you. Lord, make us your prisoners. Lord, we know that you have a hold of us. Lord, let us attempt to grab a hold of you. In Jesus' name, amen.